0: Tickets go on sale this Friday, the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday, the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Today's episode is in partnership with the BBC. welcome to a very special episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's episode is in partnership with the BBC, and they currently have a campaign called Screens. It's what's on them that counts. Now, for me, screens are something that really does dominate my mind when it comes to my children and what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. It's so layered with different feelings of guilt, of trying to get it right, am I doing it wrong? So I absolutely love the idea of actually, let's just not focus on that so much, but actually focus on what's on them and what they're doing on those screens and with their screen time. Today, we have a returning guest. and I'm very excited. It's Dr. Amanda Gummer, child development expert. Now, last time we were together, we were talking about play and the importance of play. And I think it's really interesting. This is actually, it's an extended version of play. It is still play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think screens have a really important role to play in a balanced play diet. You know, you want to make sure that your kids are getting a mixture of learning opportunities, development opportunities, play opportunities. And
0: screens are becoming increasingly playful and... Some of it's really good as well. Well, BBC Children's, they did a lot of research and they found that 79% of parents feel that children use screens more since the pandemic. Now, that's certainly true in my life. Like before the pandemic, I used to say to my kids that the screens only worked when we're in the car or on flights. That's the only time <laughs> they worked. Outside of those areas, they didn't work, you know. And I know that we include sort of TV in that as well, but in terms of like screens in their hands, it was very, very different. And then the pandemic happened and all of a sudden we've got a 5 6 year old who needs to be able to use a device a screen to speak to his class to learn and all of a sudden actually that's very much a part of their world <laughs> kind of now that we've stepped away from that time it's learning that actually it's not our enemy it's a different frame of mind
1: yeah now. and i think the sort of the screen time battles are still very real mm. but screens have become I think, demonised in some ways, yeah. unfairly so, because there is a massive difference between the solitary, sedentary, passive screen time where you're just sat in on the sofa or in your room on your own repeating cat videos or unboxing videos or whatever it is that you're doing on the screen versus as a family watching a David Attenborough documentary or children learning their numbers through something like Number Blocks. And if you can make screen time sociable as well, if you can make it active, if you can make it creative. And there is some really great content out there. So I think parents need to stop... Blaming themselves for letting their kids have some screen time, maybe you know, ease up on that battle. But when they are having screen time, it's about making sure that what they're watching and what they're interacting with, or what you know, the games that they're playing, the apps they're using, are educational, developmentally appropriate, age appropriate, and good for them.
0: Do you think a large part of the battle that we have with ourselves is the fact that when we were growing up, we had windows where we were TV was accessible to us. We knew that the mornings weren't really a thing, midweek, never. But we had that three till ten past five slot. That was dedicated to us kids. That's it. And then once that's gone, that's gone. You might be watching the soaps with your parents later on, but that's it. Whereas now, because it is that always on content, we have to really think about how we've structured that.
1: Yeah, and there's so much content out there. And I think that's where something like the BBC is great because the quality that goes into the shows that they make, especially for the children, you know, the experts that they involve in the production, things like love monster that is specifically designed to help children with their emotions manage their emotions bing is there to help children develop resilience there's yakadi there's jojo and there's some really great shows out there that help children navigate the world really positively that have been made from an evidence base. So people are taking children's learning and development really seriously. And like I say, very different to letting kids have a a device and just sit and repeat Candy Crush
0: incessantly. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I did the baby club for for CBeebies, so I know firsthand that the research and the care that actually goes into the programmes made.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think helping parents choose the right things for kids to watch is a really important thing. And I think that's much more proactive and beneficial to families than trying to make parents feel guilty for letting their kids use
0: screens. I also think with things like use Bing as well, I think Bing and certainly the Baby Club, it also has an impact on parents. If I watch Bing and I see how a situation is talked about, how it's handled, I'm like, I'm going to use that the next time we're in a bit of a situation.
1: Yeah, and that's the same for an awful lot of the programmes on CBBS and CBBC. But the other thing that I think has happened more during the pandemic and is something that I'm really keen to see families adopt and continue with is that co-viewing. So sitting down as a family to watch... You know, I know that Bluey's got a a sort of an an adult (laughs) following as well now, but, you know, whether you've got that... is my idol, (laughs) But, you know, you've got that kind of shared family viewing time or Strictly or David Attenborough Mm -hmm. films or, you know, those kind of things where you can, as a family... You get a lot more out of it watching it together because it sparks conversations, it opens up your ideas, it allows the kids to ask you questions because you've seen the same thing as they have, and that you know family bonding time, especially in a cost of living crisis, maybe forget the cinema and and do a family pizza night with a film yeah. and you know and have that shared family experience watching something really good and really fun
0: and do you think there's also an element of the things that children watch then informs their play?
1: Oh, yeah, hugely. So, I mean, we've seen kids come in and want to be, you know, their favourite character and, you know, doesn't matter what it is and they will take that narrative and they will develop it and... Kids being kids will mash it all up. So you'll end up with, you know, your Barbie and your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles all doing something together. And that's fine, but that's what play is. But they will, especially children who lack confidence, they'll use some of the narratives that they've seen on screen to inform their play and to act as a bit of a springboard to give them the confidence to then take it and do their thing with it.
0: I've seen that actually with my kids and Doctor Who, especially my eldest He's always swinging from things and doing all sorts, but actually the kind of play that he's doing, then also his drawings that he's doing, like it does sort of feed through into different things and actually seeing the fact that screen time can also inspire them. I think that should make us go. It's sometimes like, like, let's ease off a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And nobody's saying that kids should spend hours in front of the TV. No. That isn't
0: what also, this message is. We about. didn't do that. No, no, <laughs> right? absolutely.
1: So get them outside, get them running around, get them playing with friends. When they are inside and when they do want to use the screens, making sure that what they're watching can have a really positive impact mm. um, on their behaviour and their learning and their well-being generally I think that's the message that I think is coming across and that research that the BBC Children's and Education did you know really found that parents know that it can be good for their creativity it can be good for helping them learn about the world around them so it's not going away anywhere. We're living in an increasingly digital world. So we need to make sure that what we're doing is using it as a force for good. And I think by overly demonizing it and stigmatizing it, it gets pushed under, you know, kids then try and be secretive about it. And you don't know what they're watching then. Much better to be open, have the conversation, and show them what great stuff there is for them to watch when they're watching TV after they've been and run around on the playground.
0: Yeah. I like the thing that you said about co watching things, like strictly as well because obviously it started now. In our house, we had three different costume changes during the first episode. (laughs) (laughs) People were ready with their moves. So it was on, but actually they were just playing around and making up dance routines and, you know, getting their scorecards ready and stuff like that. And actually then we get involved with their moves. You know, Tom can't handle himself. Suddenly is he's, he's doing a <laughs> lift that he would have done with Amy and it's much easier with a five-year-old. Uh, you know, and it's actually those... You realise when you're doing things like that, that, those are actually core memories that are being made. Yeah. And inspired by something that we are co-watching.
1: Yeah. And mental health and positive mental health and wellbeing for children is really firmly rooted in that sense of belonging. So having family traditions and family film nights or TV nights and yeah. and knowing that that's what we do on a Saturday night, we get the clothes out and we dress up and we, you know, score the, the dancers, that will help them feel really grounded and rooted in that family setting. And that's amazing for their mental well-being.
0: Yeah. What are your sort of top things when it comes to screen time? You know, I do feel like... So many of us want guidance in terms of, you know, what do we do? How do we make this work?
1: I'm not an advocate of dictating how many minutes a child of a certain age should watch TV or how much time they should spend on the... I just think everybody's different. You've got to do what works for your
0: family. Because also, I think if your child is fully invested in something and then you're coming and going, it's got to go off now. You've had your 20 minutes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. actually, you've only got five minutes left until they have a complete story arc. You've got to work with that as well.
1: Exactly, exactly. I think it's about making sure you've got balance. That balance sort of play diet is really important. So active, creative, imaginative, free, child-led, social play with others so getting kids outside running around and interacting with others is absolutely the superfoods of the play diet and let's get them doing as much of that as they can But then you've also got things like educational play. So that's where screens can come into that. You know, you've got some really great educational apps from the BBC. You've got some content on things like bite size. So you can use educational activities. Screens can have a role to play in that. You've got, you know, learning things, mastering, board games, those kind of things. And you can play games across distance now because you can do it online. And those kind of things can be great. And then you've got the kind of just zoning out. I'm just doing this because brain's fried and I just want to kind of zone out and that's the solitary that, sedentary thing and that's fine but it needs to be rationed
0: yeah so that's the thing even that it's okay but it's thinking about how much we're doing it yeah. or how much the kids are doing it
1: and if you think of that as the sweets and the treats of the plate art you wouldn't let them have it breakfast no. lunch and dinner but if they've had a load of vegetables throughout the day and they've eaten their fruit as a snack and they've whatever and then they want a bit of an ice cream at the end of dinner
0: that's kind of okay that's always been described to me as zombie tv you know what yeah, I mean? When you yeah. just, like, the days happen and you just need to sit there. Yeah. And I feel like actually allowing kids to have that at a point, it's all right. It's not the end of the world, yeah. yeah, absolutely.
1: But if the rest of the time you're making sure that what they're doing on screens is positives, it's promoting creativity, it's helping them learn, it's age-appropriate, it's stimulating and engaging that's great too so I think it's yes let's limit the zombie TV but not all TV is zombie you know zombie inducing if you like and I think by getting stuff and watching it together and ensuring that kids are talking about talk to kids about what they're watching and what they've learned and what they thought about it you know that's great so
0: even if you think about sort of reading books in school part of that is afterwards asking a child, so what was it about? What happened? How do you think that character felt when that happened? Like, we can apply the same methods with what we're watching.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely.
0: I thoroughly enjoy that. What else have you got in your bag?
1: So I think setting boundaries about screen time with the kids where possible, rather than dictating it and doing it when everybody is calm rather than when you've just had a screaming match because they've not got off their screens for however long i think that's, that's a good message
0: you are not watching tv for the rest of the week yes, Yeah,
1: okay. that kind of thing yeah um, so nice. yeah so getting a sort of a family discussion to go okay and being prepared as a grown-up to put your screens away too, yeah. and role model that because i think that's really
0: important that's so, really interesting as well because i think for so many of us now our lives are so merged you know we are instantly accessible with our phones you know it's not like the phone rings on the hallway mum's sat there for an hour that's you know and then it's done it's like we're constantly getting emailed or what's that about different work or the bin men are coming whatever it is that we've got to set up it's always there yeah and I think that is such an important thing to be mindful of when our kids are seeing that they don't have our full attention that we're with the screens and how pulled we are and actually it is that modelling behaviour.
1: And kids have a really acute sense of fairness so they will feel hard done by and much less likely to comply with the boundaries if they feel that they're not applying to you as well as a parent. So I think And it's fine to say, okay, well, I need my computer and my phone for work. And when I'm working, this is what I'm doing. But in my downtime on a Sunday, whatever, when we're doing family stuff, we will all put our phones Mm. away and we will all have some screen free time. I think that's really powerful. Try and get a a consensus with the kids around setting what is a reasonable amount of screen time and what you're going to do with it, what websites you are and aren't allowed to go on.
0: Yeah, this might be a slight tangent, but do you think it's worth... When we are in a situation where we have to be on our screens and, you know, they're trying to get our attention. Do you think it's worth us saying, I'm so sorry, I'm just sending an email because, you know, rather than just kind of ignoring the situation, almost explaining what we are doing on our devices?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think if you say to your children, I've got three emails to send, I'll be with you in 10 minutes. That's fine. Send the three emails and then go and give them your undivided attention. But then if you hear another email ping, ignore it. because you are then prioritising being with your kids. Mm -hmm. So it's just making sure that you've got that kind of, you're being fair with them.
0: Yeah. We went through a period of time and I think it's really interesting to see how some things work for a period and then they stop to help get our boys ready in the mornings. We'd we'll be like, you can't put the TV on until so you're all dressed and ready. And then they'd be dressed and ready, they'd be watching a little bit of TV, and then it's trying to get them away from the TV to get out the door into the car. So now we have a complete no nothing in the morning rule, and it's amazing how different that is in terms of them getting ready. It's a much smoother operation, I would say.
1: Yeah, and different things work for different kids, but absolutely. you absolutely want to make sure that if they are having that, get ready, make sure your bags are packed, you know, your shoes are by the door, and you're ready to go. Then you can watch TV. Make sure that what they're watching, especially in the morning, mm. is stimulating their brain, is going to get them set up for the day, and isn't that zombie TV? Because yeah. that's the really key. Time you don't of day. want to start
0: there. No. Yeah. What else have you got?
1: So I love the fact that there is so much improvement in the kind of the diversity and representation in kids content and having children able to see characters that they can relate to, I think is really important. So yeah. things like Jojo and Gran, Gran there's lots of the cartoons that don't have human characteristics. So it's very easy to use your imagination and pretend to be bluey or a bing or whatever because it's just a bit more imaginative having that those storylines relatable narratives relatable characters and having children being able to see themselves represented i think is really important so making sure that you're not just giving them the sort of the same type of content over and over again making sure they have a sort of a diverse range and are introduced to different programs from different places and around the world and stuff so
0: me and some had this chat a lot about how when we were growing up because there was a schedule you always had a variety whereas now it feels like when your kid is into you know i don't know say bluey or whatever it is they will then almost binge watch that series i wonder if it falls on us to kind of go oh should we see what's happening on this island with david yeah you know or you know if it's andy and you know and he's off on an adventure it feels like a more of a an effort now to get that variety in
1: Yeah, I think that's probably a fair point. But I think there's so much on catch-up and BBC iPlayer that you can go. And it's visual as well. They have all the
0: pictures there. Yeah.
1: And you can say, well, you've watched that. So either let's try something new or let's switch the TV off and go and play something different because you've watched enough of that one show. Yeah. Let's do something different. So I think that might be the way to just get them to taste other things. But also kids love it when you watch with them. So, you know, I quite fancy watching this. Do you want to sit and watch it with me? That's a really nice thing for kids to hear.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love how shows like that can build an interest, especially like the non-fiction type stuff, like mm. the David Attabra stuff, how it can then get them, you know, say they've seen a snake, all of a sudden you're looking at different types of snakes in different types of places. People are drawing things or...
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, in terms of non-fiction, news round is phenomenal. So kids get very anxious because we live in a very scary world and I think Newsround does a really good job of age appropriate communication about things that the kids will be hearing in the news and in the you know parents talking about or in the playground and it gives them that sort of factual reassurance that it's age appropriate and they can feel like they understand so they're less worried about things but they're not being talked down to it's not being dumbed down it's not being whitewashed it's just being given in a way that is age appropriate and I think it's you know in terms of helping children learn about the world. I think it's brilliant.
0: With those big topics, I think we all really worry about how do we introduce those topics. So again, it's that thing of almost teaching us adults how to to address those topics. And what can we say? What should we be saying? Especially if they are going to be hearing about little bits and bobs. Yeah. You know, different things going on in the world. I know, you know, a year or so ago with the war, that was a massive thing for our kids because they didn't know what impact that was going to have on their lives.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, As a parent, it's a lot easier to carry on a conversation once Newsround has done the heavy lifting for you and then you can just continue the conversation and answer the kids' questions to the best of them rather than having to go... Oh, where do I start? How am I supposed to answer this, and what do I do? Whereas, actually, using some of the tools that the BBC gives you in terms of factual programs, current affairs, and stuff that you can—and again, with older kids being able to introduce those to some of the more sort of topical discussion-based programs—I think is great. So, I think you know, as a parent, relied on it heavily to just make my life a bit easier when I was tackling difficult topics with my kids.
0: Yeah, it's nice having that resource there Mm. to to lean on.
1: Yeah. And kids can ask you stuff and you can go, I don't know, but let's go and find out. Yeah. And you can go and, you know, bite size or whatever. And the chances are there'll be something there that you can learn about together. And then you can, you know, then you can continue the conversation with your kids. And that's really great for bonding as well.
0: Well, bite size is used a lot by schools as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, being able to trust the resource, being able to trust the information that you're getting, I think is really powerful. And it's the fact that there's a screen involved is sort of neither here nor there it's the way that the modern world processes and finds information and we want to teach the kids critical thinking skills we want them to analyze the trustworthiness of the source so we need to give them examples of stuff that is well researched and is factual and and is you know beneficial and and trustworthy versus some of the craziness that they get from other sources.
0: Yeah, well, sometimes you just don't know what's going to come up or pop up in those other things. So it is nice kind of knowing you are going to somewhere that is trusted. Uh, You know that a lot of time and effort has been put into creating content that is well-rounded, informative, educational, and also it's going to give them something as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So let's go back to the facts just to see if this brings up anything else for us. The research shows that 67 percent of parents feel concerned about what their child is watching, yet they do see value in screen time, with 65% saying that they have ability to foster creativity and communication. I would say the biggest statistic of all of them that have come out is that 93% of parents are interested in educational programming for their children. I think if we all were given the choice, if we could kind of go... So you've got this that's not going to be educational, it's a bit of zombie TV that just, might just, just go over their heads. Or this that's, you know, David Attenborough out in the wild and he's going to be talking about these different things. You know, obviously, you're going to go for the David Attenborough.
1: Yeah, of course. And rightly so. But it shows you what a, a powerful medium TV can be. Yeah. The thing for me, and, and this is we want the kids to learn through the TV. So the educational programmes are really important but they've still got to be fun and engaging yeah. because otherwise kids won't watch them. There is yeah. such a lot of choice out there. But, you know, something like Number Blocks has had amazing results. Anecdotally, I've had parents come up to me and go, oh, my kids have been playing with Number Blocks. They watch Number Blocks, they do this. And they start school. It automatically put up a year in math because they've got <gasps> so much confidence with their numbers. So there's, you know, these things, they do have an impact and they are really powerful. You know, I think it's really important that... We recognise that there can be fun and educational and it's not an either or.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Has your view on screen time changed with your kids over the years?
1: Yeah, so mine are now grown up, so I missed that sort of young kids screen time battle thing. Yeah. But my niece and nephew are that age. Right. And it is really interesting to see how more relaxed I am particularly, but also my brother and sister-in-law are. Screens are there. They are really quite particular about yes how long they're watching it for but also what they're watching on screens and I think getting into the habit of this is good content and this is what you're watching and you don't as a you know primary school kid you don't get free reign to go on YouTube and just watch whatever you find Mm -hmm. you know I think that's the important bit and I think family TVs there is still a really important place for TVs in the living room where even if you're hooking up a device and casting onto it you know it's a communal thing and it's not done in secret so people can see what you're watching people can talk to you about it it's not a undercover thing at all so i think that's really important
0: i mean what you just said it makes me think of that comedy sketch where someone says they don't have a tv in their living room the other person says well what is all your furniture face you know, because that's in the room, that is the hub. That's what <laughs> everyone is driving towards. But I also highlight, say, that this has been a thing for decades. It's not something that's just for us, it's not something that we're just thinking. It's just that actually there are more screens available now. And it is that taking ownership, I guess, and taking not control, because I think it has to be a joint responsibility of what and when and how often.
1: Yeah. And absolutely one of my golden rules for parents if you want to sort of really make a difference, I think screens are great and they have their place, but at bedtime, not in their rooms. Yeah. You know, make sure they're not taking devices to bed because you don't know what they're watching if it interferes with their sleep it's a bit of a downward spiral from there because then you struggle in the morning then it's everybody's more stressed and they don't learn as well at school and then it's then all they want to do is sit in front of the screens and then you have battles on your hand so I think when you're setting those boundaries with your kids you all agree that that's just a family rule and that's I know devices stay downstairs or whatever then you can really enjoy the positive side of the the screens without worrying too much about the negative. I like we
0: said earlier about setting those sort of boundaries, I guess, when everyone's really calm. Yeah. So not as a reactive, yeah. but in a kind of like a let's think about yeah. last night when we went to bed and it didn't go smoothly. What could we have done differently? Yeah. Let's move the screens, you know, <laughs> in yeah, that yeah. kind of nice yeah. and gentle, reflective way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, yeah, setting those boundaries and agreeing rules. I mean, that's the same with all sorts of aspects of parenting and, and family life, but much better to do it when everybody's feeling in a good place and able to sort of contribute positively rather than somebody's still smarting because they've felt picked on because, you know, some family arguments happened. Or whatever. Yeah, so I think, yeah. yeah, no, that's really important.
0: One thing that does, I think, come up with me when it comes to screens is safety. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying before, perhaps a large part of that is being a part of that screen time. So they're not just they can use their device in front of you and they can be the ones in charge of it. But just knowing what's going on in that way.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's really important. And there is, you know, you can put safety controls on devices. You can put safety controls on your Wi-Fi hub that's, you know, so the internet that's coming into the house is protected. So you can do all of those. You can put timers on your kids' devices so that they aren't able to just sit and be on there, you know, for long periods of time. So from a safety point of view, I think that's all really important. But also kids are kids. They get around some of those things. And so actually being able to know that you know have that openness and that communication where you are talking to your kids about what they're watching on tv and what you know what they're doing on their ipads or whatever and and also knowing that they know that they can talk to you if they see something that bothers them Mm -hmm. that's really important and how to report it and all that kind of stuff so yeah digital literacy for kids i think is really important and we need to start teaching it earlier
0: And knowing that they can always talk to us if they see anything inappropriate. It's important they do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you get that by sharing an interest in what they're doing online. So what you want to try and avoid, if possible, is that sense that, The kids think that you're a tech dinosaur and they don't think (laughs) that you understand social media or their lives or what they're watching or how to use an iPad because then they won't talk to you about it because they won't think that you'll understand. So if you can take an interest and you can learn a bit about the latest trends for kids, then you are much more likely to be able to have a supportive, open conversation with them and they're much more likely to come to you to talk to you if they've got concerns.
0: Yeah. As a professional in child development, have you been surprised, like how the conversations have changed over the years in terms of play and actually using that screen time to be involved in that play and, and things like that as well?
1: Yeah, I have to say
0: I'm really quite excited. And like we say with parents, how screen time was this scary, guilt- yeah, guilt-producing yeah. thing. I imagine that in the profession it would have been that thing of, oh, where are we going with this?
1: Yeah, so, I mean there is still a big body of, of opinion that says screens are still very new and we haven't done the research to know what long-term impact is and, you know, there's stuff being done on kids' vision and posture and all of those sorts of stuff. So I think, you know, there are still things that we need to be mindful of. Yeah. But... I think the innovation that's happening on screen, some of the content that's coming through, some of the learning, and especially with things like AI, where you can personalise things for individual children so that they learn at their own pace and Mm. they're they're able to learn in their own way. Those kind of things are are incredible and I think there's massive potential for it to be a real force for good, but nothing's ever that simple, is it? So we need to make sure that we emphasise and make the most of all the good stuff whilst mitigating and protecting kids from the less good stuff.
0: Yeah I totally agree. I guess an important thing is to distinguish is there a difference between watching TV and using like a screen like a device?
1: So not necessarily but quite often there is I mean there doesn't have to be because if you are a child sat on your own watching a device I mean I think the posture is something we need to be careful of but you know if you're sitting watching TV versus watching something on a screen um, on a device in front of you there's very little difference but the opportunities for co-viewing for a bit more sort of physical interaction because the TV is sort of up and, and it's standing on its own, you're not holding it. So if you felt like getting up and dancing, you can do that whilst watching the TV. Mm. You have to find somewhere to prop the device up and it may be a smaller screen and all of that kind of stuff. So that makes the sort of physical activity bit around you know screen time harder if you've got a device but i think the biggest thing is the co-watching so you know if you're sitting watching tv and brother or sister walks past the room they come and join you and then you end up you know Building something or doing something because of what you're watching on TV—that's opportunity doesn't really happen as much if you're on a device. So that would be the main difference, I'd say.
0: Yeah, it's so funny how the conversations fit, like change as well. Because I can remember growing up and really just wanting to read my book, but the family would be watching something—they'd heavy EastEnders on or whatever—and I'd be told to stop reading my book because the family were watching TV, <laughs> and I should be with the family. <laughs> So it's it's just interesting how this has changed. But I guess it's that thing of being locked in your own little world and actually kind of going, actually, this is a bit of nice time for us as a family, potentially. Yeah, and
1: the space for all of it. But yeah, Yeah. I think that if you're looking at... Is TV better than letting them have a device? I would encourage parents of younger children particularly to put things on the TV so that everybody can see them and that that kids have the opportunity to move around and and do all of that. Yeah, I would say keep that going for as long as possible.
0: And I wonder actually if children are using devices with headphones, that's a different thing entirely as well because then they're completely... Yeah. Their sensories are everything sensory about them is totally with that device.
1: Yeah. And that can be really helpful for kids with sensory processing yeah. issues. So that they are just, you know, managing what they're hearing, especially if they're in a you know, busy city with sirens going past them and all the rest of it. It can be beneficial. We need to recognise that it does cut out you know, the external world. So it does make children more insular. So the social skills, the interactions, the relationships, that's not happening when you're sitting there with headphones on and a screen because you are wrapped up 100% in your own little world.
0: Yeah. The one time we allow the kids to do that is when we are travelling. Just to just, you know, limit the chances of the fighting, of not being able to hear it, not being able to see it. Not just having the sound off the back of a, a, you know, a seat into my ear while I'm trying to drive across the country to Cornwall. That's the only time I think that we ever really which is Which is
1: completely fair enough. But, you know, travel times are a great time to have the educational apps or something on the car. Or stick a podcast on, you Mm -hmm. know, those kind of really good, quality podcasts that everybody can enjoy listening to and that you can then switch off and have a conversation because when you've got the kids in the car there's nowhere for them to escape to so especially Around difficult topics or stuff that you want them to to sort of learn more about, maybe mix and match. You have a podcast on, and then you let them have some app time or whatever. But doing that together, I think travel time is a great opportunity. For
0: them. Well, and on those long journeys, then is it a good idea to kind of go right? You can have a little bit of TV time now, like say so you're watching something on the iPlayer. Then this time, let's do some apps. Let's like to just mix it yeah. up so they don't just zone out the whole journey. Although it's yeah. great, if they're quiet, the other side of that is we don't just want zombie children off the other side of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, my kids, when they were very little, we would have, it was radios or CDs, and yeah. they would choose their songs, and then I would choose my songs, <laughs> because I couldn't cope with five hours of, you know, the wheels on the bus go around.
0: <laughs> I mean, my mum and dad used to drive us all the way to Italy, and, you know, we did it for many a year. And all of us will agree, we had the same three tapes the whole time we had Tina Turner's Greatest Hits we had Billy Ocean and then we had Bananarama <laughs> those three cassette tapes came out every year I don't know I don't know why we didn't get more but we just used to listen to them the whole way and it's so different now in terms of traveling long distance and you can actually use that screen time in a way that's sort of beneficial for all.
1: Yeah, if you're driving abroad or driving to somewhere new, finding apps that teach the kids about where they're going to and getting them involved in the culture, all of that stuff, or, you know, talking about transport because they will spot whatever it is that they're driving past. Thinking about what you're doing and how to use the screen time positively to supplement and make it better for them, either more educational, more fun, more just enjoyable, I think is really powerful rather than saying you know, oh, now, you know, you've got to put them away because you've been doing that for a while. But, yeah, I mean, you don't want kids staring at a screen for a seven-hour journey. Mm. So popping a podcast on or, you know, and playing a number-plate spotting game or whatever it is, you know, that's all great stuff. But everything in moderation, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I feel it like with my kids, they can't help but watch Andy and then jump up and go off on an adventure of their own. Do you feel like it's quite a standard thing for children to be inspired by what they see and they want to go out and live a little bit of that adventure themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, going into the sort of stuff that goes on behind the scenes in some of these programmes, you know, Octonauts was developed by marine biologists. I wanted to be a marine (laughs) biologist when I was a kid and I was obsessed with sharks and dolphins and I would have loved to have had something like Octonauts to be able to just feed that interest and develop it and allow me to kind of see where I wanted to go with it. So whether it's, you know, Ranger Hamza or or David Attenborough or Andy's Adventures or, you know, Octonauts or whatever it is, it gives children, it opens a door for them yeah. and it allows that Nobody's pushing the kids through the door, but it opens the door. And if they want to go through it and, and explore what's going on with that, the content, the issues, the topics, the subject matter, then they can.
0: I guess in our house, I could liken that to having a guitar there, say, You know, they've got the musical instrument there, but it's actually up to them to want to pick it up and then have the passion to play it.
1: Which is true, but if you take that analogy further, if they see you picking it up and playing it and if you offer to do it with them, they're much more likely to do it.
0: Love that, Amanda! (laughs) Totally built on it! (laughs) (laughs) We do letters at the end of each podcast. So if you were to write a letter to other parents about screen time, what would you say?
1: Make sure that you know what your kids are watching. And go for quality over quantity, and making sure that you know you find things that are age appropriate and that suit them, and that you give yourself a bit of a break.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, And enjoy watching strictly together. <laughs> <laughs> Just get your own costume on. Just be part of it. Absolutely. I've got to say, actually, as a parent, when now we've started doing that co-watching thing, I love it. Because otherwise I can find myself always in the periphery finding jobs to do, finding things to, you know, saw or clean or whatever it is. But actually when you take that moment to all just be in it together... There's and, a gorgeous sense of togetherness.
1: And isn't it nice when they reach an age that you can actually enjoy the same things together rather than you pretending that you, you're really keen to watch another episode of, you know, whatever it is? <laughs> but yeah, no, I really, the co viewing thing, when my two got old enough and we all sat around and watched and, and literally enjoyed the same things. And yeah. I think Strictly was one of the first things.
0: Uh, but it's, yeah, brilliant. I find it mesmerizing when my kids can quote back things that they've watched, like two days ago. They'll quote it. I don't know if that's a boy girl thing, because a lot of boys that I know can literally quote movie lines, they can quote everything they've only seen once. Me, once I've heard it, it's gone. I'll paraphrase it, it will you know, whatever. You know, the thing that they said in that thing when they were doing the thing. I'm awful. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've got one of each, actually. I can't remember who sang what or what lines from anything, but my youngest is, yeah, she's a very auditory learner, so she hears things, she remembers it, lines from songs, lines from films. Wow. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a if you've got an auditory learner, you know, get them listening to stuff, and if you, you know, if they're a visual learner, then that what's on the screen, that's how they'll process things, so it can be really powerful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We end the podcast with you completing three sentences. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So it's slightly different for this one. If I could tell you one thing, it would be? Don't demonise
1: screen time. Enjoy it together as a family. Nice. That would be, yeah.
0: I like that. Being a parent means?
1: (laughs) Uh, Being a parent means wearing lots of different hats and hopefully, increasingly, recognise the importance of looking after yourself in order to then better look after your family.
0: I love that. And I'm happy when? I'm happy when I'm playing. (laughs) Of course you are. Of course I am.
1: (laughs) You wouldn't expect me to say anything else. No, not at all. Thank you. My pleasure.
0: We have something very exciting to talk about today. Happy mum, happy baby. Well, we are expanding. We're only releasing our very first record. Yes, Move Over McFly, Move Over Tom Fletcher. It's all about happy mum, papa, baby. We're going into music, people. We have teamed up with Decca Records and LifeScore to build a one-stop shop for quality, trustworthy, educational music for baby, toddler and parent. Music is such a massive part of our family and I'm so thrilled with what we've created. I can't wait for you to hear it. Now it's worth saying that all the sounds in the album they are played by real instruments and they feature real nature sounds. There is nothing processed, it is all organic. And all of the music aims to be enjoyable listening experience for both the child and the parent. No plonky-plonky piano, it's all just beautiful musicians with their instruments honestly it's a joy to listen to we all know the number one rule for getting your little one to sleep is to stick to a trusted routine and my hope with this album is that our creation can be a part of that and make bedtime an easier transition for all the ultimate baby sleep album is here and it encompasses three parts of baby sleep and it runs in three sections wind down going to sleep and staying asleep, running seamlessly from top to bottom for the ultimate baby sleep experience. And each section lasts around 30 minutes. So let's delve into each section and tell you what they're about. The wind down is a perfect calming music for bath time and any other pre-bed activity. This encourages special bonding time between parent and baby to prepare for sleep. The melodies I've chosen to feature within the music have a very special place within my own experience of sleep routine. I loved singing little ditties or little lullabies and and this, it's just got that lovely, gentle, melodic feeling to it. The melodies can be easily hummed by parents to capture the bonding power of a parent's voice. And actually, as you listen to the music, you might even catch a few melodies of some traditional classics that were just... They just fill my heart with such love. The next section we have is called Going to Sleep. How we created this was so interesting and I absolutely loved the recording process to kind of really feel that breath actually of the musicians as they were playing. It also features natural sounds and it entwines the lullabies from the previous wind down to encourage baby to nod off at their own pace and in a relaxed state of mind. Those two sections, they kind of work together and they build We've found that this is the ideal transition for baby to acknowledge that it is now time to go to sleep. And then the next section, the final section, is during sleep or staying asleep. I like to call it staying asleep because that's the dream, people. But it provides 30 minutes of natural and environmental white noise derived from nature sounds. And then actually this leads into an additional nine and a half hours of natural white noise for babies to prefer continuous white noise Once asleep, no waking up in the middle of the night to press a little button on the sheep. Not anymore. There's been so much thought and love poured into these tracks. We've gone through so many different versions. I've pulled on the music that I love, that makes me feel nice and calm. And together with Life Score and Decca Records, we've really created something that I feel is really magical. I've played it to my kids, they love it. I'm so thrilled. (laughs) Can you imagine they didn't? And actually, I have to say that even as an adult, sitting at my desk and listening to different versions, I have often fallen asleep in the best way, in a very contented way. Some might call it work, some might call it a nice little nap. Either way, I loved it, and it was all because of this album. With 12 hours of continuous music to help your baby sleep through the night, we are so proud to introduce you to Happy Mum, Happy Baby, The Sleep Album. I can't wait for you to hear it and then for you to tell me how you're getting on.